Without further ado, I want to introduce Barbara Duffield, who is the Executive Director of the Schoolhouse Connection. She will be discussing national trends and issues relating to homeless children from zero all the way through 12 and how ARP should be spent and will offer recommendations on what states can do to further a call to action. Barbara, thank you so much for being here. Please take it away. Thanks very much. It's wonderful to be here. Um, I have many hard acts to follow um, being the final speaker for this afternoon. Okay, so for those of you who are not familiar with Schoolhouse Connection, we are a national organization working to overcome homelessness through education. We do work the full spectrum of learning from birth through post-secondary education. We are engaged in federal and state policy advocacy, um, and we provide a tremendous amount of practical assistance to states and local communities all over the country. Lots of good information on our website uh, for you about both the policy and the practice areas of our work. So, um, you know, Joe uh, had asked me to speak a little bit about kind of general thoughts about using ARP funds. And certainly you've heard a lot, uh, including a wonderful advice from Ms. Cooper just recently about using ARP dollars. Uh, I wanted to step back a little bit because I know this is a diverse audience and that there are folks from K-12, from early childhood, from childcare, from homeless services, and many different um, area arenas where it may not be kind of obvious where you may be able to shape funding or what the funding streams are that are available. So this first slide here just takes a look at the broad range of, of COVID uh, relief funds that have been, that have been appropriated um, now three or four different times through Congress, ranging from the access to school, uh, to early childhood, higher ed, housing assistance, tech, uh, technology and connectivity, uh, nutrition issues, mental health, income support. Of course, there's lots more. And that can be a lot to, to navigate or think about, but really if we could find ways to knit all of this together, we could truly end uh, generationally the homeless of many families who are in crisis right now and many who are on the brink. So the top link there is a COVID relief navigation tool, which is essentially a fancy table that we made to help make sense of all of this in terms of what is the funding stream, what's the program called, um, who's eligible for it, what does it actually do and how do I connect with it in my community? So I wanna just lay that out and make that available as, as a resource that could be potentially helpful as you're thinking about the needs that you're seeing for young children and families who are experiencing homelessness or very close to experiencing homelessness. The other piece I wanna to say too, is it occurred to me, you know, we're, we're, we're now in implementation mode and we're like, oh yeah, there's $800 million for homeless children, youth, 122 billion, but none of that was just accidental. I read um, a couple of weeks ago an article at Education Week that said talked about how Senator Lisa Murkowski just slipped in $800 million in ARP as if it was nothing, like easy peasy, just slipped that right in there. That's not how it happened. Um, so just to know that the fact that there are dedicated dollars for children experiencing homelessness was a significant effort. Children and youth who were homeless were left out of the first package. So we did a survey, we asked state coordinators, how many are directing their, their ESSER dollars, the K-12 dollars towards homeless children? Two states said they were. We asked school district vacating mental liaisons at the local level, how are you seeing your ESSER dollars being focused specifically for students experiencing homelessness? Only 18% said yes. So armed with that information, we then went to Congress with the American Rescue Plan and said, hey, there's a gap here. You say these funds are allowable, but it's not reaching these students and these children who are so very mobile, so, so very hidden in their communities. Um, and the response we got back initially 
from the House Democrats was, well, there's $5 billion for HUD homeless assistance, so I don't know why you're asking for this. And of course, we know that our children and youth who are experiencing homelessness often aren't eligible for HUD homeless assistance because of definitions or systems. And certainly those systems may not be focused on young children or on children at all. So just to let you know that the there is a continual need for advocacy for children and youth and families experiencing homelessness because many mainstream programs and even many programs dedicated to homelessness may not serve them. So we are grateful for the opportunity to make a difference with these funds and to use them wisely and strategically. Because um, again, we wanna be able to make the case that this investment um, was worth it and should be continued. So we do have an entire uh, tip sheet, fact sheet about ARP funds across from early through K-12, specifically focused for young, ch young children and families experiencing homelessness. We've already gotten a lot of great ideas and I don't wanna sort of go through and, and bullet all of, the, all of those there, but want you to know that this resource is available and also makes the case for why homelessness uh, among children, uh, all young children experiencing homelessness. So just flagging that resource for you there. Um, but what I wanted to do in the next couple of slides is thinking about all of these federal programs. What are some general principles as we're thinking about making the best use of these funds, whether we're talking about HUD funds or childcare, Head Start, K-12, what are just some things to think about? Um, so I've sort of collapsed these into a couple of broad categories here, because again, depending on where you're sitting, you may not, you may not um, have access to or understand, but you may have your own funds within your own agencies that can still be shaped, and certainly the cross-sector, cross-agency um, conversations. So first and foremost, you know, consulting with stakeholders. Uh, we did a webinar yesterday with the Richmond um, City Schools in Virginia, who just received what they found out was going to be their ARP um, allotment for specifically within that school uh, division. And the first thing they said they were gonna do is talk to the families themselves because they're getting about three or four times more than they would typically get. So what, what are the families saying? Uh, you know, the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless did the same thing and getting parents together and talking to them. And they had maybe different ideas than, than other people would have thought of. They, they wanted a hotline. Um, they want more specific assistance with transportation to be at any school that they could pick up, not just at their own children's school. So, you know, we often talk about the importance of engaging parents and youth with lived experience. It's especially true when we're designing programs and thinking about how to make the most of this and other stakeholders who may not be within our orbit. So if you're a K-12 educator, reaching out to your early childhood, your child care partners, your homeless assistance providers, and seeing what they're seeing so that, again, we can make the most use and really have some informed um, ways of, of, of using and leveraging these funds. The second broad category that I think is applicable across programs is really increasing the capacity and support for employees. And again, this was mentioned too. So training and cross-training, when you get people together, they think about the Reese's peanut butter cup, the chocolate and the peanut butter together. When you get people together, um, you can really um, increase learning. So do the housing staff know about McKinney-Vento rights? Do um, the housing staff understand early childhood development. And again, you know, Tracy gave great examples of some of the cross-training that's gone on across the state of Pennsylvania. And I know it's happening in other states as well. So really thinking about that. And training's continual. It's not a one-off. So thinking about, for example, do you need state modules or local modules or other customized uh, ongoing training that can be offered? Because we know there's turnover in all of these offices. And especially on identification uh, in many states, we saw the identification of children experiencing homelessness drop significantly in the pandemic because of in-person learning. So making sure that that continual, you know, again, in Pennsylvania, then if the numbers are going up, that's actually a good thing because we need to identify if we're going to serve and ultimately reduce homelessness. So having numbers of homeless children, youth 
the increase in early childhood and K-12 systems, I think is a good thing because we know they're there, we're just not reaching them. So intentional about that, raising wages and salaries to ensure that our employees who might be at risk of homelessness are not experiencing homelessness, that we're really working within those systems to support that. Um, we've heard a lot uh, today already about the outreach specialists or system navigators or early childhood specialists to help be those nodes to connect between systems and understanding that if it's not anyone's job, sometimes it's nobody's job. So having those designated personnel who are really focusing exclusively on this. Um, for example, I know of some school districts where they're really taking that idea of the liaison and having a, a, a somebody at each school site, somebody who's wearing the early childhood, the early childhood hat to expand that capacity. Um, it would be great if our systems were streamlined so we didn't have to navigate because it wasn't so complex, but currently we, we do. Um, so those, whether it's outreach or uh, specializing uh, among, among ages or uh, about systems, um, also, uh, again, across systems uh, uh, could be a good use of funds. Generally within McKinney-Vento land and also within Head Start and now Child Care too, there are broad mandates to remove barriers, whether it's attendance, participation services. So just thinking about, again, if you're looking at what your needs are, what are those barriers? There's a tremendous challenge with transportation. We can't talk about universal child care and have no way to get there. Uh, transportation right now, major crisis in terms of bus drivers, in terms of uh, other personnel. Uh, and so being creative and thinking about that. We're doing a lot of work at Schoolhouse Connection in terms of reaching out to, to, to communities to figure out, to see how they're planning both to use their ARP dollars and, and larger um, transportation assistance to, to, to solve that, um, whether it's buying vans, whether it's renting cars, whether it's hiring additional drivers, retired teachers, paying parents. Um, we know, for example, we saw in Massachusetts, the National Guard is being employed to help with the transportation crisis. So, um, and rural and suburban areas also very important. We can also remove barriers. And if we think about additional service sites, that may seem hard, but think about, for example, where are the motels? Can there be services located at motels? We have fewer families in shelter because of COVID. So that means families are not in shelter. That means they're elsewhere. They're staying with other people temporarily. Then maybe that there are other service sites that need to be set up in order to make it easier for families to access um, programs and services for their young children and for themselves. And again, more site, more services on staff, including medical staff, because we know again that screenings and vaccinations are very critical, particularly in COVID-19. And so really thinking broadly about those kind of co-locating co services. I mentioned broadly about the need to reach more children and families. We are not identifying all the children and youth uh, and families who are experiencing homelessness and lots of different ways to look at those enrollment barriers. Um, including making sure that we're asking about it sensitively in multiple languages uh, with the crisis in Afghanistan. We've just had all of our materials or many of our materials are being translated into, um, into uh, Farsi and other languages spoken in Afghanistan because we can expect that we'll be seeing more of those families who are experiencing homelessness. So thinking about the multiple languages and um, how we're getting that information out and how we're asking in a sensitive way we also have seen with some of our um, different McKinney-Vento programs and Head Start programs, knowing that the eviction crisis is already there, you know, are we talking to eviction courts and legal aid about reaching those families? Um, eviction is a, is a public record and how we go about coordinating that um, can be very, we wanna be sensitive and confidential about that, but it's a great way to get information to reach more families in need and making sure that we're doing our outreach again, informed by people with lived experience who can design and conduct outreach in a way that we might not think of. 
Um, I won't read all of the other pieces there. The last piece I want to talk about too, though, is something that we're working on in um, with um, the Head Start community, and that is creating an app um, on the next slide, a little bit, a Head Start referral app. So um, Tracy knows about this and has um, brought this information to the other Head Start collaboration uh, directors. And in fact, I think there are three different counties in Pennsylvania in which this is being piloted. But essentially, this is a way to facilitate the enrollment of children who are experiencing homelessness in Head Start and early Head Start programs. So currently, in its current iteration, is designed as a tool for the LEA McKinney Vento liaison to, to, to use. So as we're identifying families with children who are younger than school age, there can be a way to automatically connect that family to Head Start through an app. Um, and the information again, then shared with the local Head Start program who then does the, does the outreach for enrollment. So it's in pilot stage. It is uh, in this, the iterative process of going back and forth and getting feedback. And a number of states are, are attempting to deploy this statewide. Aaron Patterson on our team, our director of education initiatives is heading up that effort. So if that is of interest to you, uh, please reach out to Erin. And she's again, she's working with the developers at the National Head Start Association. So just wanted to make a plug for that. As a way to increase enrollment. And lastly, you know, um, with the, again, it's, we do have longer with the American Rescue Plan Homeless Children and Youth Funds than with some other funds in terms of when they can be spent by. It's actually January 2024, and in some cases could be 2025, depending on the state. So we do have a longer window and really thinking strategically in terms of the impact. And although it may not seem uh, particularly uh, sexy to do a need to to invest your art funds and needs assessment. Um, it actually could be the best way to think about using the funds long term. So reserving some funds up front to do an, a needs assessment so that there can be a better uh, long term investment, um, whether that's at the state level or the local level. And certainly at Schoolhouse Connection, we're involved in a number of states and districts who are wanting to conduct those needs assessments with their ARP funds to, to make sure that they are used to meet needs that may not have been identified to date, I'm thinking about the quantitative and qualitative data in real time to make the case to policymakers and philanthropists that these funding levels should be sustained. The Department of Ed did reserve a million dollars to do an evaluation of the K-12 funding, but we need real time information. How many more school districts are we reaching? How many more young children who are experiencing homelessness are being served by Head Start? What is the, the quality of the services that are being provided? How did it make a difference in their lives? So thinking about that, way in real time um, as these funds are being rolled out. And also looking to our partners who may be better positioned to privately sustain or staff when ARP runs out. So for example, I was talking to a school division who was thinking about a housing navigator and realizing that if that position was contracted out through a community-based organization, they would be better able to sustain it moving forward. That's just one example. Uh, and can think about your early childhood partners and whether a subcontracting with an early childhood partner might be a, bit, a better way to sustain. And of course, the new collaborations. We have a blog on our website right now from Earl Edwards to a P PhD um, at UCLA about specific intentional outreach to collaborate with Black community-based organizations um, and really working with Black community organizations to help, the under to help uh, uh, improve identification among Black children and youth who are experiencing homelessness. So looking at that, this as an opportunity to expand um, young people and families, young parents, young children who may have been left out through traditional, uh, our traditional programs. Again, we wanna to continue to advocate for the prioritization of young children within all of the emergency rental resistance, HUD home, HUD, the HUD programs, et cetera, 
where there may be a tendency to overlook this population um, and to use more limited, more limited resources. And lastly, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot as we think about emergency rent relief and how do we prevent eviction and the role of early childhood and the role of schools in addressing the comprehensive needs of children and families who are homeless is really thinking about where's the middleman? If there's, if there's a middleman there, and sometimes it's the COC, sometimes it's not, I don't mean to dump on the COCs, but if there's a structure that's getting in the way, how can you go around it? So can you have a direct relationship with the public housing authority? So the, the voucher, the early childhood programs and public housing authorities are working directly to get vouchers to young families with children or directly with school districts or providing the services directly. Um, if school districts can provide food assistance, if Head Start programs can provide food assistance, why can't they provide housing assistance? And I also, so just, just thinking a little bit, we're talking a lot now about reimagining systems. So sometimes, you know, reimagining systems may mean, you know, taking a more direct route, whether through partnerships or whether directly. So I just wanted to make that kind of broad observation. Um, considerations, and this is again, um, thinking um, what are the specific needs? We need to have st stakeholder feedback to understand, use the most restrictive funding forces first, followed by more flexible funds. So again, just within the K-12 world, it might look like Title I's more restrictive, then McKinney-Vanto, then ARP, which is more flexible. And that may look different depending on, on where you're, as you're putting, you know, braiding funds together, but just thinking about that as a general operating and then thinking big and thinking future. You know, we're not, we, we have now a new, yet another campaign uh, around ending homelessness, How's America. Um, and if you've been doing this for decades, as I have, you start to get a little bit like, I think this, I've heard this before. And if we're saying the same things, we're probably going to get the same results. So we're not going to reduce adult homelessness. We're not going to reduce youth homelessness. And we start to, start, we really need to go upstream. And that's talking about young children. That's talking about families with young children, young parents with young children. So thinking about well, through that lens in terms of long-term prevention, not just short-term relief. Um, again, was mentioned earlier a little bit about the federal policy update. I won't go into all the specifics here, but do want to say there's a lot on the table right now in Congress, um, a lot that's, that's writing on all of this. And just wanted to note um, some of the specific things around young children experiencing homelessness within universal pre-K within the childcare provisions that are being debated in the house. And again, really hope this stays in there, um, particularly because for the first time we actually would have a requirement for transportation, age appropriate transportation for homeless children, children in foster care. So there's a link there, more information at the bottom of the, of the page there. And then don't wanna neglect state policy. Federal protections are great, but state policy is really critical as well. So wanted to point your attention to a document that we have that summarizes some of the state laws, regulations and protections, both for pre-K and for childcare. And uh, lastly, leave you with some um, additional resources there, including if you're not, if you're not familiar with some of the, um, how to connect to your local programs, a directory um, for reaching your state local context, at least within the case system, again, as a bridge to younger children experiencing homelessness. And very lastly, commercial advertisement for our youth scholarship program deadline is October 15th, coming right up. Um, and uh, this is a program for youth who have experienced homelessness and are going on to higher education and just wanted to let, let everybody know about it in case that's a population that you're also serving. With that, I will wrap up and turn back over to Roz. Barbara, thank you. That was a brilliant, brilliant way for us to end. I apologize for compressing your time. Um, it was time well spent. You gave us links. We will visit your webpage and I, I see it uh, dropped in the chat and it's also included in your, your presentation, which we will get out to everyone. 
I just want to thank you so much for being here today. 